Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are on to our second postmark discussion. Uh, we looked last week at the cross and how we can be forgiven at the cross. And it makes sense that the next thing we would look at would be the resurrection. And it's kind of a package deal in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection are separate events. Uh, the resurrection is three days later. But it's all really one picture of dying and rising again that is so significant. This becomes the, the hub of Christianity. And it's, uh, it's powerful to think about. Yep, all four Gospels end with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We've talked about just how kind of short Mark's gospel is compared to the other three guys. And yet he spends the last half or sorry, not the last half, but the last kind of 25% of his letter of his book talking about the crucifixion, talking about the resurrection and talking about the burial of Jesus. So it's very important. All the gospel writers put an emphasis on it. And so uh, that's why we wanted to spend an entire podcast talking about it. Uh, Time would fail us if we really just were to spend time talking about all the intricacies of the resurrection and what it really means. But today our plan and our hope is that we can shed some light on what the resurrection means to us. Last week we talked about what the crucifixion meant to us. This week we're going to talk about what the resurrection means to us. That's right. And it's notable, I think, as we look at Mark's gospel, uh, just to see how anticipated this event was. Uh, We talked about Jesus's death being predicted in Mark 831, 931, uh, 1032. But it's notable that on those same occasions when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to die, Jesus said in those same three occasions, I'm going to rise again. And he says on the third day, you know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, long before uh, the plot against his life is taken up, um, they're, they're planning. He, he, the plan from the beginning was to raise Jesus. And so this is uh, the march toward the cross is also the march toward the empty tomb. And Jesus knows that and is letting his disciples know that. You know, it just hit me, Stephen, as we think about the three times that Jesus said he was going to die and then raise three days later. I didn't even think about it's in John's account where Jesus will say that he's going to you know, you destroy this temple and I will raise it up three days later. But there is a mention of that in Mark. Uh, whenever the people are mocking Jesus, what is that? Like chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so anyways, for what it's worth, it's kind of then, yeah, Mark fifteen twenty nine. those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. That was a completely different instance where Jesus said even there that he was talking about the temple that is his body. Um, and so Jesus has been saying this over and over again. Yeah, that's a good point. And we also see it foreshadowed in the miracles of Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, Mark records one resurrection for us. We know there's at least two other accounts uh, of Jesus raising people from the dead during his ministry. But at the end of Mark chapter 5, we have uh, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, um, and his daughter is at the point of death when he comes to Jesus. But on the way to his house, his daughter dies and I love what Jesus says in that context, right after Jairus gets the news that 
his daughter is dead. This is Mark 5, 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus has done a lot of different miracles up to this point, but raising the dead, that's something altogether different. Death seems so final. It seems so unreversible. And that's kind of the implication of these men who come to Jairus. They're like, well, send Jesus home because he could heal sickness, but she's dead. It's too late. And Jesus, I love his response here, verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And that's really one of the fundamental things that God is asking us to believe in the gospel message is that God can bring life from death. Jesus can bring life from death. And so, of course, they go to the house. They send everybody else out. And this is one of those moments that Mark uses the exact words that Jesus said, the Aramaic words. It's kind of cool, like some of the little snippets we have in Mark about that. But in verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. It's just awesome to think about this picture of resurrection in in, in Jesus' lifetime, that he can bring the dead back to life. When he speaks, even the dead listen. Yeah. And so this is just looking forward to his resurrection. You know, it's just such a consistent theme throughout the entire scriptures that God brings life from what appears to be no life. Uh, you, you think about Abraham and Sarah, you know, two old people uh, in, the old, in the Old Testament that God promised this entire nation that would come out of from these two people. And um, I love how the Hebrew writer describes it uh, by faith. Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Uh, since she considered him faithful who had promised and uh, about Mo or about Abraham there. Therefore there was one born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven and number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. You know, God took these two people who were, described as as good as dead and yet he brings life out of them it's almost like a foreshadowing there of resurrection and then that very son isaac that they would have there would be the wonderful story in genesis 22 where abraham is called upon to sacrifice that son of course that's very symbolic of what god and jesus would go through but in hebrews 11 we're told that abraham believed that god is even able to raise people from the dead um, and he received him back as a type. And so there is a consistent th theme all throughout scripture of resurrection, bringing life out of no life. That's so cool. And we see it in Jesus here. And that's right. I mean, I think about Ezekiel 37 as well, uh, when they're in captivity and it looks like the nation of Israel has basically died because they're out of the land. It seems like the promises have been reversed. And there's this vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. And really cool passage to read sometime if you have the opportunity and to see, you know, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, oh, Lord God, you know. And God raises and so, those bones to be a great army. That's right. And so here, here we stand in Mark 15, right? We, we stand at the foot of the cross. We see Jesus crucified. We see him dead, just like those dry bones down in that valley that, that Stephen was describing in Ezekiel 37. Or just like these two old people like Abraham and Sarah. No, no life can come out of these situations. 
surely no life can come out of Jesus. And as we stand at the foot of the cross, we move to the tomb where Jesus is buried. And we say, there's no way. I mean, his hands have been pierced. He's been scourged. He's been whipped. He's been up there on that cross for who knows how long. There's no way life can come back into him. And yet, as God often does, we see life. We see him raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And, um, of course, we learn that from chapter 16 in verse 2 when Mary, uh, the, the, the Marys, they come to the tomb on the first day of the week, and the tomb is empty. There's nothing there. Uh, they ask the young man who's standing there, you know, what's happening? What's going on? And he says, don't be amazed in Mark 16, verse 6. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. Jesus Christ rose. And that is the basis of our hope. I mean, everything changes because of the empty tomb. And I do think it's notable here, and this is just kind of a broader point about Christianity, is that all of Christianity is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Um, Everything from this point forward in the New Testament is going to look back at this event, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as the foundational, pivotal moment in all of human history. And, I mean, everything from the fact that they start worshiping on the first day of the week. um, Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all say he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And that's the Christian day of worship that we see in the book of Acts and moving forward. And the fact that they, they invite them, hey, come, come see the place where he was. Like the tomb is empty. There's no body in there. It was a physical resurrection from the dead. When we talk about Jesus coming to earth and dying for us and rising from the dead, it is a physical, historical, tangible event. Now we weren't there but we have the eyewitness testimony of the people who encountered Jesus after he was witnessed as having died. He was publicly executed. He didn't like quietly pass away in private. And then people saw him alive again, but like nobody really knows if he died or not. I mean, it was a public Roman execution. And then he appears to people after he, after he dies. That's not what happens. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15. This is such a great discussion of the resurrection. And Paul in this chapter is just going to start with how foundational these things are. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, um, let's start reading in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. And then he goes on to list the witness, the witnesses to his resurrection. I think it's just really interesting, this four-part summary of the things that are of what he says are of first importance. Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, and then he's buried. It's like the second one kind of proves the first one. Uh, you, you bury someone who dies, right? I mean, hopefully they're not still alive. That'd be really bad. <laughs> um, so he, he dies for our sins. He's buried, which shows that he's dead. 
And then he's raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared. And again, the second one proves the first one. His appearance proves that he rose from the dead. It, it would have been really kind of anticlimactic if Jesus rose from the dead and nobody ever saw him. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, he's risen from the dead. The tomb's empty. Well, did you see him? Well, well, no, but I heard that he was, a, well, if you didn't see him, like, how do you know? And, and so that's why Paul goes on in verses five, uh, all the way down through verse eight, and is just listing witness after witness after witness, including verse six, more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Yeah. Why do you think he says that? Go check with them. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, that's right. Go. You know. Yeah. Here, here's you know five or six hundred people right now that you can go and talk to that saw Jesus risen from the dead. Go talk to them. And in our skeptical generation, I just think this is really important. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, science versus uh, what people would call, I guess, superstition. Like, oh, we have facts. We have solid evidence uh, on this side that's proven that we don't need God. We're here by random chance and things like that. Whereas uh, you've got your faith, you get your superstitious beliefs, and all of that's just kind of blind faith. Uh, that, that's kind of the age that we live in. But when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is solid historical eyewitness testimony, which, I mean, we still use eyewitness testimony in courts of law. If you weren't there for it, you rely on the eyewitness testimony. And what Paul is doing here in this chapter is building a case for the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would just invite, if you're listening and you, you, you have not investigated the resurrection of Jesus, I would absolutely recommend that you do that. Um, there are several good resources you can use to do that. Uh, one that I like uh, is the case for the resurrection of Jesus by Habermas and Lycona. Um, you can find that on Amazon, other places. Um, if you want to do like a deep dive into the historical documents about Jesus lived, he died, the tomb was empty. And there is, when you really try to explain the historical data about like, well, how did Christianity grow so quickly? What about the lives of the people who were changed, particularly Saul of Tarsus, who goes from being a persecutor to the persecuted? What changed him? Like, what, what are the possible historical explanations for these things? And the one thing that makes it all make sense is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Um, it's fascinating. Yes. As a side note, it is interesting in Matthew 28 that even the enemies of Jesus were saying that the tomb was empty. Now, they were claiming that the disciples stole the body. But that story doesn't really hold up because these same disciples, if they stole the body, they, know, they would know that the resurrection was a lie. But they go on to die for it. And they wouldn't have died for it if they knew it was a lie. Uh, people will die for something that might be a lie, but they think it's true. But if the disciples stole the body, they'd know that, that it was not true and they wouldn't die for it. So it's very powerful to just think through the, the evidence, the physical evidence, historical evidence for the, the resurrection. Yeah. I, I also, a couple of verses we highlighted when we were in the resurrection section of Mark was verses 13 and 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul will say, if there is no resurrection of the dead, 
not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Oh man. Like I don't know about you, Stephen. There's sometimes some like startling Bible passages where I'm like, Oh, that's like, you're doubling down there. What? That's a yeah. really, really like hard thing to say. This is one of those that every time I read it, I'm like, Paul is getting is saying something here that is very bold and firm, but it's right. I mean, I can believe that Jesus turned water to wine because I know that he rose from the dead. I can believe that Jesus raised Jairus' daughter because he raised from the dead. Everything that we know about Jesus and everything we believe about him hinges on that fact because that is what makes him so different from any other person or any other thing that ever claimed to be someone. None of them were able to do this. Yeah. When we think about the practical implications of this, so, so what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me? Um, one of the big things in 1 Corinthians 15 that he points out is, well, if Christ wasn't raised, this whole thing is a sham. You can throw Christianity away. He says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Like this, this whole thing is pitiable. It's pathetic if the resurrection did not happen. So he puts, puts all his eggs in this basket, so to speak. I mean, this is all in on the resurrection. And, and just practically speaking, one way I like to think about this is there are three senses of resurrection in scripture, uh, at least three that are all connected. And the, the three resurrections that we can think about, one is the resurrection of Jesus, the historical resurrection of Jesus. The second is the fact that we can be raised now on a spiritual level. There's a picture of resurrection that's applied to Christians when they obey Jesus, when they submit to him. And there's a third sense of resurrection that's talked about in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, and that is that we will be raised at the end. This is the future hope of Christians, is that just as the tomb of Jesus was found empty, all of our tombs will be found empty at the last day. And really, Jesus said this was even, even for the unrighteous. Like, everyone's going to be raised, some to a resurrection of life, some to a resurrection of judgment. But death is going to lose. The last enemy to be defeated is death. So let's just kind of explore this for a minute. We've really already talked about the first resurrection, the historical resurrection of Jesus. But what about our resurrection? In what sense are we raised from the dead? And uh, what, does that, what does that mean for us? Yeah, Paul describes it really well in Romans, the sixth chapter, Romans chapter six. And obviously when you're talking about someone being raised, just doing the reverse engineering like we did there in first Corinthians 15. If you've been raised from the dead, what is the implication of what happened before that? You died. You died. <laughs> and so there, there's, it's like, okay, well, if I died, what did I die to? And Paul will kind of go through that with us. So let's go ahead and read Romans six. I'm going to read verses one through seven, Romans six verses one through seven. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. It kind of answers that question right there in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? The, the death that we're talking about here is death to sin, death to ourselves, our own passions, our own desires, the very message that Jesus Christ was teaching and preaching himself. He who wants to follow me must take up his cross and follow after me. The idea is putting yourself to death. So that's Jesus, what we're dying to. Exactly. It, it, Jesus' whole ministry is centered around, I'm going to be a crucified Messiah. That's what Peter didn't understand when he said, oh, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple, you have to follow me. You're going to participate in the cross not to die for the sins of the world, but to die to yourself, to deny yourself and put to death the deeds of the flesh. And you're going to participate in the resurrection. You're going to be raised to walk in newness of life. And really the rest of this chapter is a picture of what that means. I like the way he says it down in verse 12, uh, Romans 6, verse 12. uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And there's just a practical daily decision that Christians have to make. If I have been united with Christ in his death when I was baptized, and I've been united with him in his resurrection when I came up out of the water, I need to live like I'm resurrected. I need to practice resurrection in my life. And that's a beautiful thought uh, to think that a lot of times I look at my own life and man, there have been so many moments where I look at my sin, I look at who I am and I just feel discouraged. I just feel like what, what hope is there for me? Um, And that's like Ezekiel looking at the Valley of Dry Bones, you know, son of man, can these bones live? And we feel like the answer is no, but by God's grace, these bones can live, Uh, not just a physical resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection. That's an ongoing process. God is changing us from the inside. His spirit is bearing fruit within us. Uh, We are starting to behave differently. We're starting to live a resurrected life. And that's by God's power. Thank God. Uh, that he has the power to change us, turn us around. Um, Even when we feel like we've just done too much wrong for too long, how could God forgive me? If we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then God can absolutely raise me from the dead spiritually. God can forgive me and use me. It's such a cool idea, but I think it's one we understand too on a fundamental level. I I think it's just a silly analogy, but sometimes you'll watch those like cheesy Hallmark movies and it starts off by the guy or the woman or whatever, having like a near death experience, right? Where like they go through some type of traumatic event where they almost die. And the rest of the movie is about how they've changed their life because it feels like they've been given the second chance on life. 
that's that's really what we're talking about here. Except for <laughs> you, literally died. You you were per, you were a person who died and is dead. And God is saying, "I'm giving you a second chance. I'm going to raise you up, and you're going to walk like Paul describes at the end of verse four in newness of life. You now have the second chance to live. Live it for God. Live it for Jesus. Live it in the way that He did. And as you're raised up out of the water of baptism, uh, after you've been buried." You're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You're walking in the same way that he did. And so this is just such a beautiful and like perfect image that, that God gives us here um, that just makes the Bible feel so complete when I think about it. Yeah, because this image of resurrection, again, it's all over the place, all throughout. But as we think about this idea of practicing resurrection, it's so important for us to think about that not only for ourselves, but for other people. Um, is that as we go out into the world and we're trying to reach people with the gospel message, we have to believe that God can bring life from death. Um, It's really so discouraging sometimes, even right now in the midst of things going on in our country and in the world, just feel like there's just so much evil. There's so much wrong. and, And for sure there is. But again, Jesus went to the cross where it looks like the evil of the world, the injustice, the oppression, the, the world powers of the time, the Roman Empire have crushed Jesus. He, they crucified him, humiliated him, and God brings him back from the dead. Um, it doesn't matter how strong evil looks in the world or how strong of a grip it looks like evil has on someone else in our life. We believe that God can raise Jesus. We believe that God can raise us and we believe that God can use us to help bring life to other people by the gospel of Jesus. And that's so important uh, just to stay encouraged in the work, to stay encouraged in the world, to believe that no, there's a day coming when God is going to make all things new. God is going to, to make all the injustices right again. God is going to, punish the wicked and reward the righteous. It's incredible to think about uh, how resurrection really is the story of the Bible and the story of the future um, of the, of the hope that we have um, for all of those who will will come to God and put their trust in Jesus. Um, God is the God who brings life from the dead. And that that really leads us into kind of our, our, the third resurrection. So we've talked about the resurrection of Jesus, our resurrection, the resurrection of others. And again, we don't have time to do all this justice, but thinking about the, the hope, like where, where does resurrection leave us? Okay. We're, we're, we're battling the flesh. Now we're putting the flesh to death. We're practicing resurrection in our life, but all of that is anticipating what God's going to do at the end. And this is where I think it's helpful just to go back to first Corinthians 15 and read some of this. Again, we don't have time to do this chapter justice right now, but look at, uh, look at verse 20. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy 
to be destroyed is death. You know, there's nothing much more practical about resurrection than this because we all are touched by death. We all hurt. We all grieve uh, death. Again, it seems so final. It seems so overwhelming because there's nobody that we know who doesn't die. Like this is, this is a, a universal statistic, but the resurrection of Jesus changes our perspective on death. It changes the way that we grieve when we're Christians because we do not believe that death has the final word. It's an enemy. It's still active in the world, but at the end, all of the tombs will be found empty. And that practically just changes the way that we live uh, because we're not living for this life. We're living for eternity and we want and anticipate, we want that day of resurrection to come. Uh, come Lord Jesus is a prayer we see a couple times in scripture. And that, that's the idea is that we're wanting the Lord to come back and to defeat death forever, to crush it under his feet. Amen. And so this is just such a cool idea. Um, this is a, a, something that I think a lot of people don't realize that the Bible teaches that there's going to be a resurrection when everything is done with and uh, what a day that will be. I look forward to that. And, we don't know everything about that. Paul will even say we don't, he doesn't know everything about that, uh, but it is what it is. It's going to happen. And so I'm thankful for the details that we are given in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, also in 1 Thessalonians. So, uh, but as we kind of wind down the podcast, we just want to say, if you are listening and you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I think it's only appropriate that our response be very similar to what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, these guys saw Jesus raised from the dead. And uh, Stephen and I, just before we recorded the podcast, we made a list of all the different times the apostles of Jesus will talk about the resurrection. Acts 2.32, Acts 3.15, Acts 5.30 to 32, Acts 10.39-41, Acts 13.31, Acts 17.31, Acts 22.15, and Acts 26.16. And the apostles are talking about this all of the time that Jesus was risen from the dead. And so how can we not talk about Jesus being risen from the dead and talk about what that means for us now? If we believe that, we need to be willing to share that message. You know, have we talked to our neighbors or our loved ones about that? Hey, did you know 2,000 years ago there was someone who rose from the dead? Is that something we talk with people about? If not, we need to work it in there somehow. Like this is life changing. And so we need to be willing to share that with all the same eyewitnesses that we read about in the book of Acts. That's right. And though we ourselves are not witnesses, our changed life also ought to be bearing witness in a sense that uh, we didn't personally see the resurrected Jesus. We believe the eyewitness testimony. But as we are changing, as God is working in our life, that's a powerful testimony to other people as well um, to see how that how god how god works um, works in us today that second sense of resurrection well thank y'all so much for listening today we hope that the, this podcast has been helpful to you um, we're going to continue through a couple more episodes on these themes and mark and if you have any questions um, please reach out to us we'd love to hear from you um, we're going to talk some more hopefully next week about baptism and the significance of that, tying that in with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, there's a lot of confusion on, on that in the religious world right now. 
Um, if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, review. Um, again, we have online Bible studies going on right now. Uh, you can find those at capitalcitychristians.com. Or if you'd like to reach out to us personally, 717-585-0949. Or reach out to us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.